Jim Shoemaker, Drew Johnson, and Steve Anderson are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. Welcome to today's program. We have really got a great program lined up for you today. Plenty of information and education with a little entertainment thrown in for good measure. We're going to be answering some questions. You won't want to miss that part. And let me remind you that if you have a question, text them to Jim at 901-683-0989. That's Jim, 901-683-0989, or email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. Well, experience has taught us that successful investing, think about that, successful investment requires discipline and patience. When emotions run high, as we see today, it can be easy to lose your focus and actually get distorted with your investment thought process and your planning. It's not uncommon, but it's a real problem for some people. So sometimes we actually start looking for a different investment plan, and, and maybe we're just not convinced we're doing the right thing. And that's where people get so distorted, and that's what's going on today, and that's where it leads us to our question today. Te- questions from Terry. He says, what is ESG investing? I mentioned that last week because we knew we were going to cover his question. We've already talked to Terry, but we want to answer the question for you. It's uh, so that all of us get to understand ESG investing. ESG stands for Environment, Social, and Governance. You know that. It's better than, you know, uh, maybe what you're currently doing. It's what people are going to think about. And his question was, is this better than what I'm doing now than with my regular mutual funds? It seems like all of a sudden ESG is popular than ever, more popular than ever. Well, I have two experts in the studio with me today that's going to answer Terry's questions. They're all going to so all going to talk about uh, volatility because he added that. He said, you know, what is volatility and why is it? What's it going to look like the rest of the year? We're going to dive into that too and talk about volatility. And we, uh, If we have time, we've got a question from Art and Nancy about managing debt. And the, the reality, the question was, is it too late to buy a house and how long should we wait if it's not the time to do it now? That's uh, kind of good. We're going to talk about some things about the five kinds of debt and help us with them and help them with uh, that question. That's uh, our experts are Drew Johnson and Steve Anderson. That's the first half of the program. The second half of the program from the Biblical Counseling Center at Bellevue Baptist Church, Minister Jamie Fish is going to join us to share ways of coping with pressure and stress with the fact that we're back to school. With everything happening in our cities across the nation, this has become a big problem in schools, whether you're a fourth grader or you're graduating from high school, you're just concerned about going to school. That's coming up in the second half of the program. But first, let me introduce you to our experts, Drew Johnson and Steve Anderson. Welcome to the program, guys. Thank you, Jim. Good to be here. All right. Terry's question is, what is ESG investing? And he knew that it was, obviously, he says environment, social, and governance. So he had looked that up. But he just said, I don't understand it. Why is it so important? So, Drew, let's start with you. What is ESG investing? 
Well, it goes back to the an investing style that really started in the 60s. Back then, they called it socially responsible. And at that time, it referred to a strategy that excluded companies that made money from alcohol, tobacco, and gambling, what we used to call the, your, your vice stocks or your sin stocks. Um, you know, and it, they could screen it a variety of ways that they got a majority of the revenue from those sources or if they made you know, beyond a certain minimum, they could be excluded from those strategies. Well, since then, a lot's happened since the 60s, and that definition has broadened out really considerably. And now it, it can include thing, further exclusions like pornography or weapons or nuclear power and also brings in other criteria like the composition of corporate boards uh, diversity, community impact. It can include a lot of different things now. So when you talk about corporate boards, that's the governance side? That, that, would, be the, that would be the governance side. So, so for environmental, that would be the part that's not really affecting people. It's, it's what's affecting you know, nature, basically. The environment. The, the, okay. the environment, the land, the air, the water. Um, your social part would be, kind of think of that as the people external to the company. So your, your major stakeholders, like your supply chain, your customers, the community that the company is in. Your governance part would be more internal to the company. How much diversity do you have on your board and on your management? How are the employees treated? Uh, those, those types of questions. Steve, when, when we talk about that, Steve's a certified financial planner, and you're talking with, with a lot of your clients, Steve. When someone says ESG investing, Kind of give us the kinds of ESG investing. I mean, Drew's kind of given us the definition and what it is, but when you talk about ESG, what are you referring to when you talk about the kinds of ESG? Yeah, and, and this is a topic actually that the current, the the president of the SEC, Gary Gensler, has decided that we, the SEC really needs to define what this is too. And I mean, the, the person who asked this question is a little bit, in the dark as to what this is. We're kind of all in the dark. So the, there are four areas that have kind of bubbled up and, and gathered a lot of steam in terms of types of ESG investing, but these are not like hard and true definitional things. But one of them is integration. So it's just looking at companies that are integrating some kind of the ESG framework in the way they operate. Maybe it's like in their in their annual reports, they're just putting out some notes about, hey, here's what we're doing to try to be involved in this movement. So that's integration, which is kind of the one way you could do ESG investing. Another one, kind of the next two kind of go together, exclusionary and inclusionary. Exclusionary is what Drew was just referring to, the kind of the roots of the ESG movement. It's just getting rid, taking companies out of a portfolio excluding them for a certain reason, whether they're making money in certain areas or, or whatever. Um, so those are exclusionary. And the opposite would be inclusionary. It's basically starting with a blank slate and saying, I'm just going to include companies that do this. Like, I'm just going to include companies that um, manufacture using green energy or whatever. So it's selecting companies specifically, including them because they're involved in ESG in some way, shape or form. And then the fourth one, um, is called impact investing. This is a little broader, but it's really investing specifically in companies that, and, and you're kind of asking the question, is the world a better place because this company exists? Um, and all of these, by the way, if you can't tell, are a little bit subjective, which makes a lot of this confusing and difficult to really define. I mean, actually, the reality a couple of weeks ago, or maybe maybe it's longer than that now, but uh, Tesla all of a sudden fell from the the the, uh, the group called ESG Invest, and that's kind of a that was kind of an odd duck for a lot of people. And is that what you're saying? It's kind of hard to define. It really is. I mean, because a, a lot of this is an opinion. What's good for the economy? What's not good good for the economy? 
economy, just impact investing. Think about it. Is the world a better place because of this company? I'm not going to name companies, but we can all go around and talk about companies where maybe I think they're good for the world and you don't. Or, you know, and, and so it, it's, it's just a, it's a tough topic. So the SEC has got to come in and begin to nail this down because we're not talking about, Drew says it's been around since the 60s. It was more or less the sin stocks. I remember that. Not the 60s, but I mean, yeah, okay, never mind. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I remember the thought about that, the the mindset of the, the vice socks and knowing what you're talking about. But I think, Drew, I guess I'm thinking at this time, when you start putting all this together, it, it does get very difficult to label something because can't they change? I mean, you could say today this would fit into the ESG platform. But two weeks from now, they may change and do something else. Right. And, you know, part of the ambiguity is that we're not, we haven't determined whether we're talking about ESG in terms of, of inputs or ESG in terms of outcomes. Like if you were looking at water conservation, for example, you know, how a company, how much water does a, does a, uh, does a company use in order to manufacture a product? And it's, well, they might be putting a lot more clean water back into the environment, but, all, but if they're using more than they're putting back, are they really ESG? So they're going to have to clarify what exactly they want to achieve by labeling companies that in the first place. Mm, that's a great point. I'm talking with Drew Johnson and Steve Anderson. We're talking about ESG, ESG investing. It's hard to get that all out at one time. <laughs> ESG investing. The reality is Terry asked the question, what is ESG investing and is it important? Is it something he should be looking at? It seems to be gaining a lot of traction. And now we find out that even the... The man that runs the SEC has said, we've got to define it. It's got to be done. If you've got questions for us, tell, just send them, text them to Jim. And the text line is 901-683-0989. That's just text Jim. And the text line is 901-683-0989. Or you can send them talk money at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be glad to get your questions on the air. And that's really what's happened with Terry. And we've got one coming up. And it's from Art and Nancy. And they want to know, is it too late to buy a house? Should they wait? And well, we're going to talk about some five thoughts about debt. We're going to dive into that at the end of the break. Okay. All right. Now, Steve, I'm going back. I want to, I'm looking at this. Advantages, disadvantages. Help me with what you see as you're talking to people. The advantages of, I'm going to give Drew the disadvantages, okay? So you get to tell us, it's your job in this debate here. You're the pro, he's the con. Advantages. Yeah, well, you know, with all investing, and, and sometimes you state the obvious and it's so obvious, but it does need restating. When you're going to invest money, you need to have a goal in mind. I, the, the first sin of investing is investing and not having a goal, right? So if your goal is to grow capital to meet a retirement goal or college, a college funding goal or whatever, great. The question that relates to ESG investing is, is it important to you to make sure that you're investing in companies that have some kind of a framework related to ESG, is that important to you? So the, the first thing, the first advantage of ENG, ESG investing is really, it gives you the ability to, to align the way you see a better world with the way you're investing. Because ultimately when you're investing in companies, you're giving money in some way, shape or form, you're placing money into the system to be used to generate products and services for the good or not good of the world, right, of the economy. And so ESG just gives you the ability, the advantage of it is it gives you the ability to align your values and your goals with the actual way that you invest your money. When this was somewhat of a 
minor thought process. I mean, I don't think we saw this as something that could um, actually shape the market. And now we're beginning to talk about that and hear that. Is that advantageous or will that, Drew, say that's more of a disadvantage? Well, I, I, you know, I'm going to punt. What I wouldn't want someone to do is come into the ESG investing world and think about it in terms of return. Um, now, I, I, everywhere I've seen, because we've seen a lot of debate about this, but ev- everything that I've seen has seen this as kind of a push as it relates to return. Okay, so it, it, you, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't encourage a, a, a viewer or a listener to really think about this as something related to return. Make it related to the way you see the world and the way you want your money to be put out into the markets. Um, that would be the primary advantage in my mind. Well, we've got four people in the studio. Max is our producer. We've got Drew. We've got Steve. We've got Jim. All right, we could have all four of us could all think differently, and therefore we make our investments according to our thought process, our social, pro- our, our spiritual, maybe it's a religious thing when you think of, it's all those things boiled into, that's kind of what you're saying. The advantage is I can point to money that I want to invest into something that I am comfortable with where my dollars are going. It's meeting my expectations and my social and spiritual values. That's right. That's exactly right. Yep. And, and, and the beauty is that with all the products and all the investments that are available today um, and the availability of information, it's never been an uh, it's never been easier to do that. That doesn't mean it's super simple, <laughs> as we've discussed. Yeah. But it's but it, for the first time, really, you're able to align the way you see the world with the way you invest, and that's a pretty neat deal. All right, that's critical for us. All right, you punted. <laughs> <laughs> Step up, Drew. What are the disadvantages of ESG? Well, I think one way that you have to think about ESG is when a when a person wants to invest according to that style. What they're ultimately saying is, this is what investing as investing should be like. In other words, they are anticipating that at some point, this is going to be backed by some kind of legislation or regulation, whether at the, the local or the state or the national level. So they, they think that that's what, this is what's going to be you know, legal uh, at some point. And so in the event that that happens, a fund that has attracted capital by excluding something that was legal and now is illegal, well, then there would be no further reason to invest in that particular fund because no fund could invest in, in, in those uh, activities uh, in the event that you know, legislation banned it. And so that would be part of the problem is you could see the whole advantage of being an ESG in the first place wiped out just by future action, you know, acts of Congress. All right, let me ask you this. When you talk about political and regulatory and being literally acts of Congress could change the way you invest. Is that giving the control to some body there that we really don't want them to have the control? I mean, we've seen tax legislation. I can remember back in the 80s when limited partnerships was running wild with tax deductions and all of a sudden, you know, Reagan comes in, changes, says, you know, you can't take the tax deductions on limited partnerships anymore and made it retroactive. Wow. That was a change. Is that the same thing happening here? It's not exactly the same thing, but it, it, it could be similar. I mean, you think about one particular category of ESG would be electric vehicles, and we know all we all know about the way that some states have have provided pretty massive subsidies and tax breaks to that. You know, imagine what would happen if that went away, for example. What would happen to that investment space? And that's just that's a that's a, an extra risk that you have to think about if you're highly concentrated in that area. Yeah, and another way to just to think about the question you're asking is that. F- 
and again, this is also new. I'm, I'm speculating like everybody, but when I read what a lot of these um, uh, legislators are thinking through, it doesn't seem to be as much about you can and you can't invest in X or Y. It's more like we want to regulate how the disclosure is done so that there's common language that everybody can agree upon. And in that way, I think, I think the, the legislation, if that's the direction they go, I think that's great because it's nice to call an apple an apple and an orange an orange. If, if, we have, if we have a common language and a common way to disclose what ESG is and, and how your company or how your, your investment approaches, I, I think that's a positive thing. Well, it makes sense, I think. And again, it's kind of like a, you invest in what you believe in, what you're you know, a socially responsible type investment, uh, one that you're confident that they're going to lean the way you want to, whether it's biblical from your perspective or, or something of that nature. I guess my thought is that can be reversed. I mean, you know, you could take and say, I'm going to invest in something that is off the wall that all of a sudden I could, you know, this company that was a mediocre, barely struggling company gets a huge influx of capital, you know, because we're going to, we're going to, I don't know, I'm trying, I don't even yeah, know what to think, yeah. but you know what I'm saying? It's all, it's not in the mainstream, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, th- this is one of those areas of investing probably. So I'm going to, I'm going to snag a disadvantage here and on, on, from Drew maybe a disadvantage of ESG is there is a risk that you start to let the, um, the, the tail wag the dog here, right? If, if, if your the goal, investor wag the CEO and the board. Well, I'm, I'm saying like, if your goal is to retire in seven years on X amount of dollars a month and you prioritize ESG in a way that it precludes you from being able to in, invest appropriately. Okay. Well, there's, there's a, there's an interesting situation. Um, at the moment, I don't see that being an issue, but the more defined things get, hey, I, I guess that's a possibility. Well, you know, you, you tie into this question because Terry, as he was asking the question, I'll remind you, if you've got a question for us, just type it into Jim, type Jim, and the text line is 683-0989, 683-0989, or you can send it to Talk Money at Shoemaker Financial. Terry's question was, what is DSG? And then he follows up with his thought process. He said, what about volatility for the rest of the year and volatility with ESG? He was kind of leaning with that mindset. I can semi-understand his question. I talked to him and, you know, it's just he's wanting to do some ESG, but he's a little afraid of it. And I can understand that. What about the volatility? What about risk tolerance with ESG? Well, I, yeah, I can, I, can, I can go first on this. Um, I, I don't, it doesn't seem to me that volatility is, is is more or less related to ESG than regular investing. But before we talk about volatility, let's. I want to make sure we definitionally agree on what we're talking about here. So sometimes people talk, and this is one of my favorite topics, but sometimes people talk about uh, risk and they mean volatility, and sometimes it's the opposite. So in our context, what we're talking about is volatility is the natural ups and downs of the market. That's that's what we that's what's painful to us is experiencing these ups and downs and ups and downs. Risk in our context, usually speaking with clients, is really more related to making sure you have enough capital to meet your goals on the back end. And so separating the two, I love that he asked what is what about volatility? Because a lot of times people say, well, isn't such and such more risky? Well, really, normally what they're actually asking is, isn't that more volatile? And so anyway, I like the way he framed the question, but volatility, 
um, is probably going to hang with us at least for as long as we're talking about inflation, COVID, multiple engagements um, in different parts of the world with uh, war and everything. So volatility is probably here for a little while. Volatility is here to stay is what you're saying. All right, Drew, do you do you agree or do you disagree? I agree. I mean, especially when you're looking at... He didn't what, punt, by the way. Did you notice that? <laughs> I, noticed I just that. wanted to let Head you know. On. That was way to go, Drew. Well, you've got, you've, got, you've got inflation. You've got interest rates still going up. You've got the midterm elections going up. Uh, so you still have a, a, a lot of uncertainty. And uncertainty is really what drives volatility in the market. If people knew everything that was going to happen, there wouldn't be any volatility. So it's that lack of knowledge that drives people to make those different decisions about what they want to, how they want to buy their investments. But ultimately, that's your friend. Volatility is your friend. And it's just part of the natural part of the, it's the breathing and the exhaling and inhaling of the market. It's there. Just live with it. That's right. That's a good point. Well, when we come back after the break, we're going to answer Art and Nancy's question because they have a question. We're going to leave the ESG talk, but we're going to talk about a question I think is on a lot of people's mind. If you didn't buy a house in the last two years, is it too late? Well, Steve and Drew really have some opinions on that. You do not want to miss. It's a great question. A lot of people ask. We're going to talk about debt. We're going to talk about consumer debt and just how do you do mortgage debt and what are you thinking about? That's two questions that we're going to deal with. Is it okay to, you know, what about buying a house? Is it too late? And what about debt? Stay with us. We'll be right back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Certain strategies with an emphasis on environmental, social, and governance, ESG factors take into account non-financial objectives and limit the investment opportunities available to an investor. ESG investments may underperform or perform differently than strategies that do not have an ESG focus. An ESG focus may result in investing in securities or industry sectors that maintain a different risk profile than the market generally or different risk profile when compared to strategies that are not screened for ESG standards. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Helping you make the most of your money. Talk money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9. The S&P 500 is an unmanaged index of 500 large cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securian Financial Services are affiliated with Jamie Fish or Bellevue Baptist Church. The views and opinions expressed are those of Jamie Fish only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money on, we have so much appreciated and it's on a subject that so many people are, you know, asking. And, you know, I appreciate that Art and Nancy sent the question in and you can send any question you've got to Jim to the text line here at 901-683-0989. That's Jim, 
J-I-M, to text line. That's a text line, text line, 901-683-0989. Or you can always send it to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. Now, you know, the key is we try to answer your questions. Uh, we've got experts in the studio. These guys know that, you know, they get these questions all the time. And I want to lean into Steve. Steve, the question, it's, I, I get their question, and I, I think it's one of those questions that I think, when you got the market that was so robust for 2020, 2021, and the first part of this year, and all of a sudden inflation, we got core inflation now at 6.1%. That excludes, obviously, food and energy. We saw it tick up a little bit, rose, but not as high as everybody expected. It's at 8.5% for July. So, And, you know, the, the unemployment rate dropped to 3.5%, and all the things seem to be going along like we want. Unemployment in a couple of our states around us, Mississippi, the lowest unemployment rate in, in their history. Congratulations, Mississippi. Way to go. Kentucky, Missouri, same thing, lowest in their history. So, you know, the question is a legitimate question. I fully understand they're wanting to buy a house. They were waiting, I think, and in fact, I talked to them, and uh, they they just couldn't get their ducks in a row. They would not, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But answer the question, is it too late to buy a house? Yeah, so two thoughts on that. Number one, um, we, we were talking about this earlier. Did you know... Jim, that mortgage rates are up 78.21% over the last year, according to Chart, 78.21%. And if that's all I told you, <laughs> I mean, that just sounds astronomical, Makes right? Makes me nervous. Yeah, I mean, just we're shaking in our boots. <laughs> Absolutely. And that takes the mortgage rate all the way up to 4.99%, <laughs> which is still 1.5% below the 30-year average. Yeah. So that is the that's the tension mortgage rates have really gone up which makes which makes us oh man we missed it yet in in the grand scheme of things the the the, the mortgage rate is not the thing probably that's, that's breaking the bank here you know but in what you just said puts it kind of in a mindset then yeah. that if you really think about the house that you're buying uh, mortgage rate as long as it's reasonable. Now, back in the 80s, it got out of control. 12% mortgage rates. Granted, I can remember some people buying homes with that. Fortunately, I didn't have to do that. But but the reality is some people did. But now we're talking about it's reasonable. It's, it's not at the 30-year high. We've just gotten so used to mortgage rates being at 3%. Is it too late, though? I mean, you're saying, hey, put it in reality Probably not. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And and so one 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 thing that one point I was going to make was the rate, and and it gets blown out of proportion in our mind. The other one is, I think the question sets up this. It, it tees us up with this mindset that our home is, is is to be viewed like an investment. And and I think that you know one of the things we talk about with clients is you have to be careful viewing your home like an investment. Sure, you don't want to way overpay for it. You don't want to make irrational decisions because it's an emotional purchase and all that, granted. But a home is a place you live. And if you're going to live there long term, which you probably shouldn't buy a home if you don't plan to live there long term, then then the price and all that, it, it, it's probably not quite as big of a deal as most people make it out to be. So, so my response, now I don't know Art and, and Nancy's situation exactly, but my gut level response would be, no, if, if, you're, if you're ready to buy a home, if you're in the right financial position, buy the right amount of home, but no, it's, it's still a reasonable time to buy a home. 
you know, a lot of people think that buying a home is a God-given right. I mean, you know, we see the millennials and, and we just see people that, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of folks that have said, you know, I, I, um, mom and dad had a house and so we want to buy our first house. And they're thinking of buying the same house that mom and dad's got. Their first starter home is as big as mom and dad's house and they took them 30 years to get that. That's kind of the off the chart mindset, but we see a lot of that. And then it's kind of like, you know, they're transit. A lot of people are much more transit today. So buying that home needs to be a thought process, not a reaction process. That's exactly right. There's a lot to consider. Our, it, it was funny, uh, seven years ago when we, uh, my wife and I bought our first house, we were renting at the time. And my wife said to me, well, you're the financial guy. Shouldn't we be buying a house? <laughs> and I actually sat down and did something. I, I, if I wish I could find this. I, I created a spreadsheet and just put in there, okay, well. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, that's how we do things, right? That's right. $100 a month for lawn service, HOA fees, you know, homeowners insurance. And I tallied it all up. And I'm, I, I'm pretty sure most people lose money on their home. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's a losing proposition. It's just a matter of how much am I actually going to lose, really. So, so, no, it's not the bad time to buy a home. It really isn't. That's a great thought, and, and I love the way you put that in there through that process. And when we talk about debt, I guess, the, you know, managing that and, and being have a reasonable way of saying that we can pay for this, you know, make sure that you can. If it's a two, you know, two jobs in the family... What happens if one of those jobs goes away? You know, you got to have a contingency plan. You got to be able to make the, and the air conditioning goes out. Do you have a savings plan for that? And I think one of the biggest issues we talk about with a lot of people that we see, and yet it's one of those things, I can't afford that. That's disability insurance and life insurance. If the breadwinner happens to die early, you got to have a way of paying that mortgage if you want to stay in that home. And a lot of, most mortgages are, are filed, you know, for bankruptcy because of a disability or a health issue. That's a big issue. Yeah, it, when, you, when you take on a mortgage, when you get married, when you have kids, um, when you take on uh, the next level job up, all of those raise the level of responsibility and care that you should give to your finances. And so it, I think for most people, that, you know, that love their family and that value, you know, I guess kind of like traditional American values, you're absolutely right. You've got to make sure that when you're making purchase A, a mortgage, a home with a mortgage, you've got to make sure these follow-on effects um, are, are taken care of, the, the insurances and, and all that as well, for That's sure. That's all part of it. Let me let me make sure, because I, I mentioned five kinds of debt. Credit card debt, you know, you've talked about that, Steve. It's up. You know, a lot of people are spending, and we're doing a lot of that credit card debt. We don't want to say that it's in something wrong with credit cards. That's not what we're saying. The use of the credit card, it's the abuse of a credit card. Just manage it. Don't pay the interest rate. Pay it off every week, I mean, every month. That's managing credit card debt. The other one is consumer debt, whether it's buying a car or furniture for the house or the new lawnmower that you're talking about. Those are important things. But you know, when you talk about this mortgage thing, this mortgage debt, it's really a mindset of making sure everybody's on the same page. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it, when you compare these different credit card debt, consumer debt, mortgage debt, you got to keep one thing in mind. Um, you know, mortgage, a mortgage is backed by a, a, an asset, a home, right? What you buy on the credit card, probably more times than not, um, <laughs> is not an asset that's going to be accruing value over time. And consumer debt, same thing. So uh, the, the, that's what makes a mortgage unique. And, it, and that's the when you're thinking about debt and prioritizing which is good debt, bad debt, and all that, 
ask the question, is there an asset behind what I'm buying that's going to hold value or accrue value over time? And that's a big consideration. I love that. That's that's a great way to put it. I know another thing, and I'll just share this last thought for those that are dying. This is Art and, and Nancy, and, and bottom line is for anybody that's buying a house, if you're married and you're going to go buy a house, this is important information, very important. I can just tell you from experience, make absolutely sure that you're in perfect agreement with the person that you're going to have breakfast with in the morning. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you're not, you know, if she's saying this or he's saying this, you better work it out till you get it to some degree of unity or it is not going to be a good decision. That, or, or just learn to sit on a nail and, and tolerate <laughs> tolerate your indifference. You know, you got to have peace of mind. You got to know that you're working together. And it's, it is a joint effort. And I thank you guys for covering this. I hope Art and Nancy understands that we're not saying it's not the time. We're not saying it is the time. It's just a personal decision. The mortgage rates are still within that range of 30-year highs. So don't worry about too much of the mortgage rate. It may have to be built, dealt with from what you're going to buy and the location you're buying. Just buy something that you feel comfortable with and both you and Nancy Art are thinking through that process together. That's important. Guys, thank you so much. I appreciate what you've done. We're going to go and talk with Jamie Fish. Jamie Fish is a minister of, he is the minister of biblical counseling at Bellevue Baptist Church and a dear friend and we have him on the program frequently and today we're going to talk about back to school and the pressures and stresses that families face and how do we cope with it. Welcome, Jamie, to the program, sir. Uh, thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. You know, I tell you, Guy, this is, you know, I feel for these kids that have spent this week in school. It's this time of the year that, you know, they're having to buy supplies, they're getting clothes, all the things, and then this, that's just natural anxiety. Then, Every kid that's going to school remembers what's happened over the last two years. And you know that, I mean, I had a teacher tell me that she's a teacher of fourth graders. And she said, you know, we're having to discuss that we're safe in the classroom. Something she said, I will never have, I would never have to do that. But now it's a part of that discussion because somebody says something and next thing you know you got two or three people concerned or crying or, or the, and it's not that it's that anything's going on in the school it's just the fear the stress the anxiety that something could happen so let's talk about that let me just help let me give you this first question this trans you know transitioning back from the summer schedule the fun the times they've had to all of a sudden the new demands new expectations how does a kid, how does a parent avoid this back-to-school anxiety, the, the blues, the, the stress, all that? What would you tell them? Well, I think that uh, you pinpointed a lot of different things that have added stress to this generation. But, um, you know, getting back in the routines, uh, setting a schedule, when to go to bed, when to get up. You know, a lot of the kids have been playing video games till wee hours of the morning and and uh, now we're having to adjust, and that's really tough the first week especially. Um, I think there's a lot of excitement with getting school supplies and maybe getting new clothes, but um, just getting back in the routine and, and uh, having the parents engage them, talk about that, and get ready for it. And then, you know, even for the parents, it's maybe a, a, a brand new thing because some of them are getting back in Memphis traffic to get their kids to school. Um, and then there are families that you know, have uh, maybe three children and they have three different bus routes 
that they've got to get their kids on a bus at different times. So there's just lots of um, pressures for parents. Sometimes just you know getting them on the bus is, is uh, you know our job, and, and we think we're done. But I think engaging with our kids and talking with them about these changes and kind of mentally uh, helping them understand that we're with them in it uh, has a big a big deal with helping the, the young ones deal with the you know the stresses that they might feel i appreciate what you're saying communicate 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 and that's uh that's something that i think we all think we're doing but you're saying just up the game a little bit do a little more communication talk about the you know the struggles they may be having and i i like the fact of routine that's um you know routine sometimes if you get in a routine things kind of get leveled out for you i can appreciate that that's uh that's good good solid counsel sir and uh, let me, I guess my next question, though, is it's one thing to get into a room, routine. It's one thing to get the communication going. But I'm stepping into a new dynamic. I mean, we've just gone through COVID. We've just gone through all the issues of some of the pro- problems in some of our cities around this country. And so, and it's harder classes. Uh, you know, it's more homework. And, and then it's the peer pressure. I mean, I have a granddaughter that just told me, she said, you know, Grandpa, the peer pressure is greater this year than I've ever seen it. And I mean, you know, and I'm kind of paraphrasing that comment, but you understand what I'm saying. It's just yeah. a lot of friends, new activities, and then all that. So, okay, here's my question. What should they do? What should the family do? Yeah, the challenges are incredible because, you know, it used to be that the influence was over when they walked in the door at home, but now... With devices, their you know their friends and peers and people around the world are influencing them, and in fact, these people are called that influencers. Um, I I think just you know being engaged, parenting is probably maybe a little bit more challenging because of all this. Um, but reading literature, we have more information, more uh, books, and just realizing that that's got to be on the front burner for parents. We got to be willing to to learn. We've got to work harder, uh, continually build a relationship, because as our children grow, um, they're going to want to cut the umbilical cord, and you know there's there's resources available to help us. And and the kids think they're smarter, but we really are smarter than them. But we just have to have to act smarter and and get ahead of the curve on some of the things that they're being exposed to. Yeah, I can remember thinking my dad was the dumbest man on the block, you know, when I was about 15, 16. Now, when I graduated from college, he was the smartest thing I'd ever met in my life, you know. But that's just, that is that growing, you know, the testosterone was coming along. I mean, you know, I couldn't do anything wrong. I was the, you know, know, whatever you could call it. But the reality is there is that issue that there's a change, there's this, you know, peer pressure. So I guess I'm thinking this, and and how do you tell parents when you start? I mean, you talk about social media a lot, and I know today, man, that is just such a problem, such an issue. There's good, and there's not so good. How do you help a parent navigate this this whole idea of the new friends, you know, the boyfriend, girlfriend, new teachers, the this teacher's too hard, this teacher's not engaged. How do you deal with all that? I know you ask, you get a lot of questions about this. So for our people that are listening, what do you say to them? Well, I try to encourage them that uh, they've got to grow some thick skin. We can't get our feelings hurt because we we got to be engaged. And probably, uh, you know, there's an old 
uh, James Dobson book, Parenting Isn't for Cowards, and I think that that really captures it all. We've got to roll up our sleeves, be willing to, you know, to work and be actively involved. And, you know, for some it's going to be a little bit more uncomfortable because it's not within their personality per se. But it's our job as a parent to stay involved, to meet their friends, to help children, you know, identify good friends uh, because we know that there's some bad ones out there. And um, and then, um, you know, recognizing that uh, there are going to be some things that come across our, our path with our children that, you know, we're not really ready for and recognize that there's resources available to help in that. Uh, you know, youth group leaders, uh, they study trends and, and, um, and they're actively communicating with these children, uh, these young people, apart from their parents. And uh, it'd be uh, just foolish to not take advantage of, you know, those people who uh, are, are actively learning about uh, the new trends. Yeah, so. that's so, so critical. And thinking about that, if you just tuned in, I'm talking with Jamie Fish, Minister of Biblical Counseling at Bellevue Baptist Church, talking about stress and going back to school and all the anxiety and the issues, whether it's parenting and how you, you know, want to be the best parent you can be. You know, you mentioned the book, Parenting Isn't for Cowards. Well, that's a, I mean, I remember reading that book. That is a great book. If you can find that in the library or maybe find it some bookstore, maybe they'll order it for you. Parenting Isn't for Cowards but James Dobson. Great book. But you're talking about communication. Um, communication is sometimes difficult with a teenager. Now, I can tell you I had two daughters. Um, I, I never, ever, ever had a communication problem with my two daughters. Now, you know, my credibility is now shot. You know that because I had two daughters. That's hard to communicate with a teenager and especially when you're trying to do it with daughters. But what should parents be concerned about? What should they be looking for? I mean, you know, we didn't seem to have big issues. I, I can remember, you know, a couple of little minor things and, you know, catching them, you know, my wife always said, hey, you got to realize your mom has eyes in the back of her head. And that was kind of the mindset. But what are things that, you know, that you tell parents that you should be con- concerned about and be looking for with their teenagers? Yeah, we've got to keep our fingers on the pulse, um, looking for lack of motivation, maybe a sad demeanor, uh, distance, you know, isolation. Uh, they come in and just go right into a room, close the door. Disinterest in maybe uh, formerly enjoyable activities, and that's a common thing that goes along with depression, but maybe an unwillingness to talk or engage and uh, reluctance uh, or resistance to family activities, um, you know, and getting back in the routine, you know, summer's different, uh, wake-up time's different, dinner time's different. You know, if you can recapture those uh, that time at the meal table where you have a chance to interact and look in their eyes and and uh and then recognize i'm trying to not just have a meal here but i'm trying to uh, be ahead of the curve and diagnose if we've got any kind of problem um and i think you know this is an age where a lot of times young people will kind of push back on going to church with their families and being involved in in the student ministries of their church so those are t- t- types of things that I, I hear quite often and then encourage other parents uh, with just as uh, markers uh, that they should be concerned about and, and seek help for. Well, you've done a great job, Jamie. I, I so much appreciated. Jamie Fish, Minister of Biblical Counseling, Bellevue Baptist Church. Jamie, any closing thoughts? 
Well, just, you know, for the parents, strap it on. It's going to be a roller coaster ride. <laughs> um, I, I said to parents once, you know, that they communicated they had a great relationship with their son, uh, but then all of a sudden they hit some big hills on the roller coaster ride, and they came in, and they really were good parents, but they just weren't, they thought that, that they weren't going to have any problems, and life just isn't that way. And I told them, and I tell all parents, you're going to survive this. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. You're going to survive this. Parenting isn't for cowards. That was a great book. Thanks for reminding us of that book. Routines, know what your routines are. Do a lot of communication, and you will survive this. Great wisdom from a great friend. Thank you so much, Jamie. I appreciate you being with us today. All right, Jim. Love you, brother. Love you, man. Appreciate you. I want to thank my guests, Drew Johnson and Steve Anderson, and, of course, uh, Minister Jamie Fish from Bellevue Baptist Church. If you have questions for Jamie, you can reach him at 901-347-5832. If you have questions for Drew or Steve, you can reach them at 901-757-5757. You can find our show, Talk Money, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. If you have questions, simply type Jim, J-I-M, to the text line, 901-683-0989. That's 901-683-0989. Or send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We will get them on the air. Next week, my guest, Kurt Zarnowski, he'll be talking about an update with Social Security and what do we expect for the inflation rise? What's that going to do to our Social Security payment next year? Frank Lacarico will talk about college funding and Karen Vogelsing, she'll talk about a rise to read. Don't want to miss that. How do you have an impact on your hometown? That's Saturday morning at 7 and again on Sunday at 12 noon. I want to thank our producer, Maximilian, guest and coordination, content coordination by Francis Fortner, production and marketing assistant, Laura Norsworthy, compliance officer, Mr. Tommy Armstrong. Thank you so much for listening. We're here for you every week, helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker, Drew Johnson, and Steve Anderson are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. This has been Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9.